This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for a bigger job, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. Hey, kids, let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down. She's talking from the skies and sending lives of feel-good sounds. Traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Jets. Oh, she's weird and wonderful. Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen. She's wearing high heel shoes, got her wings on too. You know, I've never seen a better stew. Oh, Betty and the Jets. Hello and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots and from traveling around the world. In this episode, we have a, a tale of three Bettys. We have Betty Jenkins, Betty Santoki, and me. <laughs> we also have butts, babies, bras, labradoodles, and avocados. Let's get on with the show. I was flying with this really funny guy who kind of says things, you know, some people just say what they're thinking where other of us, you know, try to <laughs> try to keep it to ourselves. But anyway, he was, I was flying with him. He's funny. And another girl that I really, really like, she's as sweet as sweet as can be. Can't even imagine her ever saying anything bad about anyone. So uh, they were picking up trash. Uh, it's the end of the flight, you know, long flight, 10 hours. And, uh, they had gone through with the trash cart, picking up trash, and then they had gone through with trash bags, picking up trash, and then they'd gone through again, picking up trash, and now it's final, you know, <laughs> just about to land in the U.S., and uh, she's picking up trash, and he says, uh, why are you picking up butt trash? And she's like, what? She, he's like, why are you picking up butt trash? And she's like, what's butt trash? And he said, well, at this point, if they still have trash, they're just pulling it out of their butt. I know a girl named Betty who wears Okay, so somebody said something to you. Um, do you have extra food? Because my gordo translation, my chubby is hungry. Or chubby hubby? Or my chubby husband is hungry. <laughs> Just moved from Missouri and she's feeling kind of Do you have a celebrity on board? Anybody good? Oh uh, yes I did. It was Glenn Campbell. He was like a really cool guy and stuff. Right. So I saw him in the gatehouse and I went, whoa, that's Glenn Campbell. So then he got on and I was working first class. And of course, he was sitting in first class with his uh, daughter, Debbie. Uh, we shot the breeze every now and then when I did the drinks and stuff. I let him know that my first cassette tape I ever had in my life was of him that my father gave me. And he really nice. appreciated that. As the flight progressed, he finished his dinner and he... I, removed his tray and he still had his red wine on his tablecloth so I was collecting tablecloths and I said 
to Glenn. I said, let me show you this new trick that I learned. I was going to pull the tablecloth out from under his red wine. And he said, no, don't do that. And then his daughter immediately said, oh, come on, Dad, let him do it. And she started laughing. So Glenn said, okay, go ahead. And uh, I did it and did not spill the red wine. And you, you pulled his tablecloth out from under his red wine. Yes. And yes. it did not spill. Nope. So not risky. Yep. And he gave me a little clap and <laughs> round of applause a little bit. And good guy. Yeah, that's great. I don't know. I wouldn't think I would. He's my hero. Yeah, but do you still do that with the red wine thing and the passengers? No, I've, I've lost my ninja skills about five years ago. <laughs> yeah, once I hit 45, it's been downhill ever since. So. send me the best stories. This comes from Andrew. It was in the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And uh, there's also a great photo that I'll put with this episode and on my website. It says, my friend Betty Sentoki, a former Pan Am stewardess, reminded me about the rescue of over 30,000 mostly orphan babies from Vietnam at the end of the war in 1975. Most landed at Hickam Air Force Base and were cared for by Honolulu residents. Many then continued on to San Francisco, where President and Mrs. Gerald Ford met some of the planes. Pan Am normally served wealthy travelers. Their baby lift passengers were another way entirely. Karen Walker Ryan was part of one crew. She was in Hong Kong when the Pan Am office there directed her crew to leave April 5th for Saigon to pick up 295 infants, 100 children under 12, five doctors, 10 nurses, and 45 other escorts. The next morning, Ryan said they boarded an empty 747. During the 90-minute flight, the nine stewardesses and 10 volunteers put together cardboard bassinets, filled cartons of baby bottles of formula, and positioned diapers and clothing for quick access. In the plane's upstairs lounge, doctors set up a crude ER. They landed at Saigon, airport and the onslaught of little bodies was carried up the ramp and thrust into our arms, Ryan recalled. It brought tears to our eyes. All we could do was lay them on seats or in their bassinets and turn around and take the next bundle of hot and crying child. Then came the older children, a few on crutches, others so very sad and upset. We frantically tried to sort out who needed immediate medical attention while trying to secure the cabin for takeoff. After less than an hour on the ground, we roared straight up and out of there, spreading our arms over as many babies as we could. FAA rules be damned. The entire 747 was stuffed full of traumatized and crying babies, Ryan said. Babies were fed and hot meals were served to the older children, many of whom wanted hugs, not hamburgers. I never had to do my job in tears before, Ryan said. Here are all these babies without their mothers. They needed their moms, and they had us. The reality of war hadn't hit me until then. The plane landed in Guam, where a fresh crew took over. It was 3 a.m. and 12 hours since we had boarded those that spotless 747 in Hong Kong. Although that day of flying for the world's greatest airline, was probably the most unglamorous of my nine-year career with Pan Am. It will always stand out as the most rewarding. We departed, and people changed forever. The orphans, attendants, and their crew arrived at Hickam. 
An escort was assigned individually to each child and remained with that child from the time he or she left the plane to the time he or she reboarded, the Air Force 15th Wing History Office says. Most were in Hawaii for only a few hours. Hundreds of the 5th Wing personnel and volunteers met the aircraft, many to act as temporary mothers and fathers to bathe, feed, and simply hold the babies and young children. A few days ago, I happened to sit next to Ray Lavelle at the Latour Cafe on Nimitz Highway. Ray was a television reporter from 1973 to 1986, and by chance I found out he reported on the baby lift. You might remember Ray Louvel's journal, a weekly feature that ran from 1984 to 1986. Louvel, or could be Lovell, remembered being at Hickam. I was standing next to a retired Army sergeant in his early 50s and his wife in a waiting room. The attendants were bringing babies off the plane into the room and calling names. They called the sergeant's name and he identified himself. The attendant handed him a baby whose legs were twisted. The sergeant and his wife embraced the baby. Was this a surprise to you that the baby's legs were deformed? Lavelle asked the old sergeant. No, 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 the sergeant said. We told them, we'll take all you got and no one else wants. I was standing there with my microphone and crying like a baby. It was very moving. Another child was adopted by Don Baker and his wife. Baker had been an ABC reporter in Vietnam and worked for several Honolulu TV stations. He and his wife wanted one of the babies. Baker asked Noel Gaylor, then Pacific Commander-in-Chief, whether he could help get him a child. Gaylor helped him get a newborn boy just a few days old. The baby's name was Noel after the man who made it possible. From April 3 to 26, 1975, 3,300 infants and children were brought out of Saigon to homes in the U.S., Australia, France, and Canada. It was one of the largest rescue efforts in history. Through September, another 90,000 adult refugees transited through Hickam. Ryan, the Pan Am stewardess, is retired now and lives in Montana. According to a Missoula newspaper in an article in that paper, Ryan said in 2000, Good Morning America arranged a 25 reunion of some of the children and the people like herself. Ryan's home has photos of many of the children. Many sent her cards on Mother's Day, and she has attended several of their weddings. One was adopted by a family of a U.S. congressman. She's married now and has two children. According to the Missoulin article, another is an ER doctor in Indiana. A third is a police officer in Seattle. I have these kids in my life that I wouldn't otherwise have, Ryan concludes. It has greatly enriched me. We have a special bond because I was there for this horrific transition in their lives. The city glowing in the morning, she feels that she might burn. So I believe in pay it forward. Yeah. So I'm a flight attendant, and I've got this really nice Brazilian guy who's just, I can tell he's very gullible. And I find sweet, it. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Oh, yeah. So I find this key on the counter. And I said, oh my God, it's the flight deck key for them to start the airplane. Take us in there so they can get the airplane started so we can get the air conditioning running. So he runs up there <laughs> to the pilot and goes, I got the key to start the airplane. <laughs> now there's two blondes in a bar in New York City. And the bartender said, hey ladies, what's closer, 
Miami or the moon? And they're thinking and they're thinking and they look at the bartender and said, well, duh, I can see the moon. <laughs> so one of the little tasks we have is somebody's assigned to check the crew rest area to make sure the emergency equipment's good and there's enough pillows and blankets. And in general, one bunk, we know we take breaks and shifts. So you'll have you'll be taking the same bunk as somebody else has. And so you want to check that there's two pillows and two blankets uh, and two sheets in each bunk, right? Okay, just normal, ordinary, mundane stuff. Well, this particular plane, the pilots share the same crew rest area. So I'm checking it and he's checking it. And uh, there's only one pillow in each bunk. And now that could be a problem. We could order more pillows or, but there were plenty of clean pillowcases. So, you know, you could just change the pillowcase, you know, so uh, it's not that big a deal. But the pilot said, well, there's not enough pillows. And I said, yeah, but, you know, we have plenty of pillowcases. And he said, yeah, well, you know, it's going to take a lot of pillowcases to make a pillow. And I, my eyes got wide because I don't want to sound condescending. He's a pilot, you know. But I said, um, well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to make a pillow out of pillowcases. I just meant to change the pillowcases. <laughs> just, luckily, he didn't seem to take offense, and he ordered more pillows. But I'm thinking, who, who's gonna make a pillow out of pillowcases? This next story comes from listener Christine, and it's from NPR StoryCorps. Okay, so we all know this. Even if it's given with the best intentions, some gifts aren't worth the trouble they cause. Betty Jenkins found that out firsthand. This was back in the early 1940s. She was in her 30s and still single. And that troubled her mother. I was very skinny, and I didn't have any curves. I guess my mother got kind of worried because she didn't think I had enough boyfriends. So she bought me a bra that you blow up. I was real excited, so I blew and blew to about 32. I was quite happy with the looks. I got a few wool whistles. So the bra had the desired effect at first, but pretty soon Betty got some attention that she really didn't want. That year, I took a trip to South America. I proceeded to fly to Santiago. Soon we were into the Andes Mountains, and it turned out that it was a non-pressurized plane, and I felt very uncomfortable. Things were getting very tight. This bra had started to increase in size. As the thing got bigger, I tried to stand up, and I couldn't see my feet. The direction said it would go to 48 if I wanted to. I thought, what will happen if it goes beyond 48? And I found out what happened. It blew out. It was a loud, resounding sound, and the co-pilot came into the cabin with the gun wondering what had happened. The men all pointed to me. Well, it's difficult to explain to people in English that part of your anatomy just blew up. But to try and do it in Spanish, it's beyond hope. 
So they made a landing. I was taken off the plane and turned over to two women police. And they told me to strip, hunting for what they thought was the bomb. When I stripped down, I showed them the hole in the bra, and they chuckled. And I thought, oh my, they've gotten the point. And I was allowed back on the plane. A month later, I got a bill from the airline for $400 for an unscheduled stop. Put it on a smirk, cause he knows that Betty City, it comes first. I have my little bag picking up trash, do 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 do, down the aisle, and I look over. And this lady has her baby on the tray table changing the diaper. Nice. <laughs> so I said, ma'am, <laughs> people eat on that tray table. Yeah. That's not sanitary. And she got mad at me. Yes, that you were wrong. I was We're wrong. Yeah. How dare you? Right. See, that's kind of a problem. And it all stems from that, you know, the customer's always right saying, but you know what? The customer isn't always right. You know, it's it's not right to change a baby's diaper on the tray table. <laughs> and something I come in contact with a lot because I'm tall. And so my, my bottom is sort of, uh, you know, they're sitting, I'm standing. So my bottom is sort of, you know, eye level with them. And so I will have people poke me in the butt. And, you know, I'm sorry, but poking someone in the butt is never appropriate. You know, you don't, you don't poke the waitress at a restaurant in the butt. You don't, you know, go into a bank and poke the teller in the butt. <laughs> you don't go into a supermarket. and po- You don't go anywhere and poke the people in the butt. It's never appropriate. But yet the customer is always supposed to be right. So they will get indignant and they will get mad at me if I say something. So I will have someone poke me in the butt and I will say, um, you know, that's not appropriate. And they'll go, oh, you know, like, how dare you say that to me? I'm the customer. <laughs> but just like changing the diaper on the tray table isn't right. Poking, the, poking someone in the butt is never right. Lady likes to watch the city wake up as the sun and I'd like to thank any of you who are so kind. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, you know, they have everything. Uh, you were so nice to go through my website, BettyInTheSky.com. It doesn't cost you any more. You click through. It supports the show. I thank you so, so much. I like to see what people buy. And some of the books and e-books that people bought this uh, month, uh, Big Rig Comic Tales from a Long Haul Trucker, Bowler Hats and Kinky Boots, and Zigfield Follies. <laughs> So if you're going to buy something on Amazon, please just consider going to my website, BettyInTheSky.com. Click through. It supports the show. Uh, if you have your ad blocker on, the links won't show. And I thank you so, so much. So I was on a flight and I was sitting, uh, I was sitting in coach, but I was sitting next to a pilot in his uniform. And I could tell it wasn't one of the major airlines. And he works for... Um, corporate jets he, you know the private planes the ones that all the celebrities are on now that they're not on us anymore and uh we started talking and I should have gotten out my recorder but I didn't and uh he was telling me some interesting stories how he, he you know flies around really really wealthy people and he says it's just interesting to see how the really really wealthy people act and how you know 
down to earth some of them are. And he was saying, uh, Bill Gates, you know, you can order anything you want catered, literally anything you want catered. And he likes to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> How great is that? Gotta love that. And he said, uh, another time, they get the, the passenger list, and there's just the only passenger going from L.A. to New York is a Labradoodle. <laughs> a Labradoodle <laughs> is the passenger. He sat in a seat with a seatbelt, the Labradoodle, and uh, he was going to get groomed. He's going to get a haircut in New York from L.A. That's how wealthy some people are is they can uh, fly their Labradoodle <laughs> to New York for a haircut. I'm a uh, big NPR fan, and I just found this story so touching that I'd share it with you. It's from Scott Simon, NPR.org. Just before Jenny Stepien got married to Paul Maynard last Saturday, she turned to the man who walked her down the aisle and put her hand on his chest to feel the heartbeat of the father she lost 10 years ago. Michael Stepien was a chef on his way home from work at a restaurant in suburban Pittsburgh in September 2006 when he was robbed by a 16-year-old who shot him through the head. Arthur Thomas was a school counselor in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, and a father of four who had been diagnosed with a heart disease 16 years before. He was in a hospital close to death. When Michael Stepien died, his family decided to donate his organs to help save lives. Michael Stepien's heart was transplanted into Arthur Thomas's chest, and it turned out to be a good match. The two families have become friendly over the last 10 years, sharing both grief and gratitude. When Jenny Stepien got engaged, she asked Arthur Thomas, is there any chance you'd consider walking me down the aisle? He told her, oh, there's a big chance. The last 10 years, I watched my children graduate from high school and college, and I'm probably going to be able to see them get married, Arthur Thomas told the Washington Post. It was important for me to do this very small thing for her. Arthur Thomas took Jenny Stepien's hand as the music at her wedding reception started. He did my father-daughter dance with me and then handed me to my mom, she wrote on Facebook. It was truly the best day of my entire life. The Department of Health and Human Services says that almost 30,000 people received organ transplants in the United States in 2014, but 22 people a day die on average while waiting for a transplant, in part because there's a shortage of organs available. Charity Tillerman Dick, an opera soprano who's become a vocal advocate for organ donation, has had two double lung transplants at Cleveland Clinic. She still sings. I'm alive today because a family in Ohio turned their tragedy into a miracle, she told us. Some people say life's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It should be a relay. When you round mortality's final bend, pass the baton. In death, we can give breath. We can give grace. We can give life. So this is a story that I didn't think was a story, and I didn't think it was funny. But as I tell it to people, they all seem to think it's funny. (laughs) You know, sometimes I'm just stupid, or sometimes I'm just naive or dumb. I don't know. And I don't even know if I was really being dumb. (laughs) Okay, anyway, I was in London, and I love London. I feel so at home there. I like, you know, the accent. Everybody sounds smart. Um, I think there's always a lot of interesting people there. People are so nice. There's a place that I like to go to get chicken. 
And they're always like, hey, where have you been? I mean, it's like, wow, these people in London actually notice if I'm here or not. It's just sweet. So anyway, I had gone to a store and I bought a dress already on sort of a shopper's high. And I decided to stop. I was just walking by and I wanted to do some writing. And so I was looking for a place that uh, was light enough, you know, to do some writing. Because, you know, I was looking to have a glass of wine, but I didn't want to if it's too dark, I can't get anything done. So I saw this, it's like a restaurant, bar, cafe, bakery. And I sit down and I order a glass of wine and I start writing and finishing up this novel that I'm writing. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm having this glass of wine and in, in walks this woman and she looked interesting right away. She had on this big hat and these crazy glasses. And she, she looked like an artist. She looked like an interesting person. But I just kept on writing. And uh, maybe five minutes later, she said, uh, are you writing a novel? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> and she said, oh, this place is actually a lot of uh, artists come here. She's like, there's a lot of creativity in here. And she said she was an artist. And she said she lived near Brighton. I just really liked her. And we were just started having, we started talking about American politics. We started talking about greed. <laughs> we started talking about what my novel was about. Um, I was just having a wonderful conversation and I just really, really liked her. And she started telling me that she lives near the water and, you know, I should come to visit. Then she said, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick you up or anything. And I, I literally was like, what? <laughs> it hadn't even occurred to me, honestly. It hadn't even occurred to me. I guess it should occur to me, but I just don't think along those lines because I don't, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not into women. I never think that they would be into me because I'm not, anyway, I just, just not, it's not, uh, it hadn't even occurred to me. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. <laughs> and then I, I was asking your name and she was like, Liz. And I thought, I said, Liz, she's like, no, Liz. And I'm like, Liz, she's like, no, Liz. <laughs> and that's the funny part is like, her name is L-E-Z, Liz, which people call lesbian. <laughs> and I don't know, honestly, I don't know if she's a lesbian. I don't know that. And I don't know if she was trying to pick me up. All I know is I like talking to her. She was really interesting, uh, fascinating person. And I, I really, really enjoyed talking to her. And then I, I, I was just going to look her up later, you know, and I put in uh, Les, artists, and all, the only thing that came up was, you know, lesbian artists associations and <laughs> lesbian artists movements. No and honestly, just never, never, never who is custom Jimmy Choo's. She gets her head on Thursdays and she dines I did. I had Andy McDowell on a flight. I was working in first class and... One of the flight attendants came up and said, OMG, Andy McDowell is sitting in coach. Oh, she was in coach. I said, there is absolutely no way that Andy McDowell is sitting in coach. And they said, swear. She's in 27 Bravo. So at some point, I came to the back and I walked through. And sure enough, she was sitting in coach next to the window. She's pretty, isn't she? She's beautiful. Yeah. Sitting with her husband at the time, the boyfriend right. from high school, whoever, yeah. whose goal in life was to keep her grounded. So the funny story was that she came back to the bathroom and she's standing in line with all the other people sitting in coach. 
And one of the ladies standing in line with her came up, tapped her on the shoulder, and said, Has anyone ever told you that you look just like Andy McDowell? <laughs> and her response was, Yeah, I hear that all the time. <laughs> she went into the bathroom. That's music. I was a uh, part-time ramp agent. And it's always fun to, to find somebody new that doesn't know anything about the yeah. airline industry to pick on. Yeah. So I'm loading a airplane with the luggage and all of a sudden they pull up with these three carts of bags. And the guy goes, oh my God, these bags are, gonna go, are not gonna fit on this airplane. Run to maintenance and get a bin stretcher so we can get these bags on the airplane. So off I run to maintenance and ask him for a bin stretcher. And the guy plays along with it and he goes, oh, I think we're out of it, but hold on, let me go back and look. <laughs> a bin stretcher. <laughs> That's cute. That was That's cute. cute. Chuck sings a song to the delis with the neighbors yelling. And the so this flight attendant was telling me that she was on a flight that uh, the famous person, <laughs> I know what to call him, musician, Kanye West was in first class and they were on a big plane. And uh, like I was saying in the last few episodes, lots of times when you're on a big plane, you know, there's 300 people and say you're working in coach, you don't know who's in the front. Or if you're working up front, you don't know who's in coach. You know, it's like it's a, there's so many people. It's, you know, you're sort of just uh, involved in your own section, per se. It's kind of like waitress has a section. Anyway, this uh, flight attendant who was working coach didn't realize that Kanye West was sitting in first class. And a lot of the passengers were wanting to go up and you know, get pictures or ask for autographs. So a passenger says to her, hey, um, I hear that Kanye West is in first class. And she's like, no, I don't think so. No, uh-uh. And uh, no, he's like, no, no, no. Uh, somebody told me that Kanye West was in first class. And she's like, no, I know all the flight attendants on this um, trip and there's no Connie West. Yeah, I had this, the CEO of Mount of Sunglasses, and he's in business class, and I have a non-rev sitting next to him. So, apparently he had taken an Ambien before he started drinking, and then had several glasses of red wine, and the last time I remember, he had a full glass of red wine, and then the non-rev was gone, and the glass was empty. So the non-rev told me that he had spilt the red wine on him, on him, okay. and the guy, the, so I said to him, okay, well, I'll take the glass, and he's, he's done for a while. So he, he falls asleep, I moved the non-rev to another seat, he's fine, there's no problem there. The guy wakes up before the, before, uh, for the landing service, and uh, he says, what happened to the guy who was sitting next to me? I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> you kind of spilled the whole glass of red wine on him. So I moved him <laughs> to a different seat. He goes, oh, okay, well, I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to use the restroom, and I'm, I'll be right back. When I get back to my seat, I want you to come see me. So I said, okay. So he comes out of the restroom, goes back to his seat, and I said, okay, what can I do for you? He goes, here's a certificate to you, and here's a certificate for the guy that was sitting next to me for any free pair of Maui sunglasses. Like $200 no, these were $400. $400 sunglasses. Well, he said any pair. Any pair. Wow. Yes, they were nice. I've always wanted a pair of Maui Jim. and See, that's a nice ambient zombie. That was an ambient zombie, all right. That was a good ambient zombie. 
Okay, this is me doing silly stuff. So I was on a layover with a, I was on, it was a Madrid trip, and I was talking about stupid topic of conversation. I was talking about how I like avocados and that I like to bring avocados on my trip because, you know, they don't have to refrigerate them. Um, there's plenty of food on international flights, but sometimes it's not the most healthy food. And then in your hotel room, you know, like if I get up from my nap, you know, you know, it's just a, a good snack. And I was saying how disappointing it is when you bring carrying around these avocados and I wrap them in foil so that they don't um, get bruised in my suitcase or they don't open up and, you know, get green stuff all over my clothes. <laughs> so, but it's so disappointing after you've been carrying it around and then you open it up and it's like, wah, wah, wah. you know, lots of times they're no good. Uh, either way, it's like they're too hard or they're all brown. And so this girl I was flying with, a, a Spanish speaker, she's got long, shiny, dark hair. She said, oh, you know, if you open up that avocado and it's brown, she goes, that's, that's good. And I'm like, well, is that good? And she goes, oh, well, that stuff's like gold. She said, I put that on my hair and on my face. That stuff's like gold. And so I kept having those words resonate in my head. That stuff's like gold. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, I like gold. You know, I, I, I want my skin and my hair to look like gold. So uh, I on a trip to Amsterdam and I cut up my avocado and sure enough, it's all brown. And I can hear her voice in my head. Well, that stuff's like Cold. So sure enough, I thought, all right, well, this is before I just woke up from my nap and I'm going to go hit the town in Amsterdam. And I thought, all right, well, I'll put this stuff on my face. I'm not going to put it on my hair because I don't want to have to take a shower and wash my hair before I go out. I don't have that much time. So uh, I put it on my face and I kind of smashed it in there. It's a little messy. So I decided I better, after the first little on my face, I figured I better, I better take my clothes off before I put this avocado on my face because I'm like avocado on my clothes. So I take my clothes off. I smash this avocado on my face and I leave it on like an avocado mask as I'm like having my coffee and getting ready and stuff like that. Even working out a little bit with my avocado face in my hotel room. <laughs> so now the next morning, you know, I only have to leave myself so much time to get ready for it to be downstairs in my uniform for pickup. But, you know, I have that brown green avocado in the refrigerator and you know that stuff's supposed to be like gold so I'm thinking should I try to put that in my hair uh you know do I have enough time is there gonna be a snafu and I thought well that stuff's like gold so I thought okay I'm putting it on my I'm putting it in my hair so I take off my clothes again my pajamas because I don't want to get avocado all over my clothes and I start just <laughs> smashing it on my head. I can't say it was the best plan because maybe I should have like mixed it with conditioner or mixed it with oil. But I didn't have any oil with me because, um, you know, it's just kind of glumpy and falling off and I'm getting avocado everywhere. And I'm and so I'm just trying to mix it up. I didn't want to use my brush or my, I didn't want to get avocado, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get avocado on my brush. <laughs> but anyway, I get it on there just about as good as I can. So now I've got this brown, green, hair mask on and I get my coffee and stuff and I start like packing up and then you know I'm gonna take a shower and wash that avocado right out of my hair <laughs> so I get in the shower and oh my gosh what are the chances really what are the chances like shower doesn't work I'm thinking no 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 it can't be I've got I, I can't like I can't and to ask for another room I'd have to put clothes on I get I get green all over it and I'd have to be so embarrassed I'd have to say you know I've got this avocado 
smashed all over my head, but I need a new room. Like, I don't know, that's, that's, that's going to be too time consuming and embarrassing. So I thought, well, you know, I could probably just use a cup and, you know, lean over the bathtub and try to wash it. I thought, no, I am going to get this shower to work. There's lots of times all the showers are different and stuff. So sure enough, thank goodness, whew, I got that. I got that shower to work, but I was nervous. <laughs> and then I was able to wash that avocado right out of my hair. I washed that avocado right out of my hair. And then, <laughs> then I'm still like, I, I, now I'm toweling off, you know, and I'm like, you know, you know, wiping around my ears. And there's like green on the towel. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be on the beverage, beverage cart. And there's going to be a little chunk of avocado on my uniform. <laughs> but I think, I'm pretty sure that I left the room and myself, avocado free. Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye. Bye.